if it's okay, I, I'll stay sitting. We're a slightly smaller group. Is that all right if I stay sitting? Um, someone told me that if your glass is messed up in in uh, with a mask on, if you put a, a very fine something of soap or something on there, have you heard this? It stops it misting up. Sorry. What what does spit? Spit. Oh, <laughs> thanks. You mean s- saliva? <laughs> what is it? The famous saying about the what is it? Men sweat. What's the what? How does it go? Now that's it. Ladies glow. I knew it was something like that. Yeah. So like, you know, different English in different countries. So the Irish wash their teeth. The Brits brush their teeth. And the Americans clean their teeth. Uh, Little things like that. Interesting, isn't it, these different um, things. Okay, well, it's it's always a privilege to sort of share and open one's heart, you know. And that's what really I feel burdened to do, to open my heart about not just simply what the Lord has shown me about the church, but thinking about it in the context of these days, and um, the days in which we now find ourselves. I don't know whether you do much thinking about um, church and church history and the events in which we are now engaged and the things that have gone past, say, in the last 200 years in history, the way the things have developed, say even in the, in the 20th century, just thinking of the UK, um, just thinking of the British Isles, for instance, um, Ireland is sort of, my wife is Irish, she's from the Republic, um, and we married in 1970. And of course we were burdened, and I don't know if you're aware, that in the Republic of Ireland there were virtually no non-Catholic people except in Dublin and the environs of Dublin. Very, very few. And I can remember us trying to have meetings. We were married in 1970, so I think 71 and 72 and 73, we tried to have meetings, announced them, and nobody came. Nobody came, except the five or six of us who were... Um, there was a man named Stanley Mahwini, 
who wrote a book in the 60s that was called In Darkest Ireland. So you may not be aware that if a Protestant, someone from Scotland or somewhere, Faith Mission used to do ministry in Ireland, they'd even be stoned. It was in the 1960s. Or chased out of the village or the town. And uh, there were churches in Dublin, as I say, brethren churches. Some come from a brethren background. I sometimes used to wonder. There was a big brethren assembly called Marion Hall. And there were other places, churches. And then I remember something that was a great surprise to me. Um, We were visiting in 1975. And I was asked if I would speak that there were some meetings going on. And I, I was asked to speak in a place called John of God's, which was a Roman Catholic priests and nuns place. And I went along there and there were scores of priests and nuns and Roman Catholic people and they were really hungry for the Spirit, for the Lord and we had great times there and then I was asked if I would speak it was one Sunday evening and the meeting was in the back of a Church of Ireland church and it was packed with all kinds of people And suddenly I became aware that in the space of five years something was happening. That God was moving in Ireland. And it was quite wonderful. And so often I would return uh, sometimes with my wife, sometimes my daughter was young in those days and my son who lives in Australia um, And we would go, and there were meetings springing up all over Ireland, and we started a conference. It was was so, so much so that there was a desire, and these were people, some of them were priests by background, who by this time had left the Roman Catholic Church. And... We'd have this conference and there were, I don't know if you know the jokes, you know, you, you, the Brits say jokes about the Irish, don't they? You know, how do you brainwash an Irishman, you know, fill his wellies with water, um, those sort of jokes. Well, the Irish tell jokes about the Kerry man, um, the man from County Kerry. And I can remember being in Kerry and meetings that were beginning and old farmers who'd been staunch Roman Catholics. I remember one gentleman at the conference, we had baptisms always on a Tuesday in the conference, and I can remember this old gentleman with his farm boots on and his um, suspend his braces, you know, and, his, and he marched into the sea to be baptized and confess the Lord. 
and they were very wonderful times and you know that went on and I can remember around about 1984 or 85 I was speaking to an older Irish brother who'd never been a Roman Catholic but he'd always loved the Lord and he was a ministering brother and uh, I said Eddie his name was Eddie Eddie isn't this wonderful what God is doing here in Ireland and he said this to me he said yes Bernard it is wonderful he said but in ten years time they'll all be squabbling they're Irish and they'll all be squabbling and it was almost a prophetic word you know because that's what began to happen and things became scattered the conference I think disbanded in about 99 I went there from from Australia in 99 just to visit but things changed the, the processes of history in God's church one of the things they squabbled over wasn't music um, you, you know there were those who wanted bands to dominate and there were other things that they, they squabbled over so there were halcyon days where God worked and that, that was just Ireland <clears throat> and you know some of you will be aware I, I think that um, it's very much like that with God's, with, with God's church you, you probably should understand this tell me what the world is doing now and I will tell you what the church will have accepted 20 years hence. So, 40 years ago, what was going on in the world, the acceptation of same-sex relationships, things like that, and now, after 20 years, there it was and now it's legalized and it's in the churches confused thinking and you know when when the Lord it's very wonderful how God loves his people and you take something like the 1950s which in this country was after I was a war baby um, in the 1950s life was difficult you know rationing was still on things were, were like that and the church the Pentecostals were really like ghetto didn't mix with many and there were things going on the evangelical church was endeavoring the Baptists and so on 
and the famous name that you'll all have heard of became quite prominent in London, Martin Lloyd-Jones, and you'll have heard of Keswick Convention, that where there were speakers down there in um, Torquay at Upton Vale, of course, they always had a good teaching brother and um, minister who would teach the word. Francis Dixon was one, I think, years ago. But in, it, it's an amazing thing. And then, in the very early 60s, there came this move where people became thirsty for the Holy Spirit. And they were hungry for the Lord, young people particularly. And this wasn't just in the United Kingdom, this was in New Zealand, for instance, this was in the United States. And so there was the beginnings of a breath, a breathing of God. And then this affected people, uh, Anglican people. Some of you may have heard of a man named, um, what's his name? He was a curate, Michael Harper. And there were others. Um, and so there was a lot of new churches that began to be birthed. You're right, Brenda. Okay. Um, uh, you, the, the, the breath of God was coming, and new churches were born. And so many people, uh, we don't realize it, but we're partly here often today because of the way that God breathed in those days. The new churches that came into being and the refreshings that came. Some of you may have known David Pawson and he passed away earlier this year. Guilford Baptist and Gil, you know, it, it's wonderful to to realize how God did something. And I, I believe that in some ways it's related to this that happened in the 60s in the world where there was a kind of, you know, the Beatles era, era the, you know, it's it's an amazing thing how there was a desire to know, a desire to adventure, a desire to learn, a desire to go after things. And, and all right, you know, in the world it was, you know, the what did they used to call them? The the mods, the rockers, the uh, what? The hippies, the whole shoot, you know. And um, even in those early days, you see, in the early 70s, in places like California, you know, some of the people that I met, these were believers, these were Christians, young people. They called them Jesus people. They were still somewhat bohemian in their... I remember one situation where they lived in trees, 
and uh, that was but they they come to the Lord and of course many of those people sort of shall I say sobered up and became bankers and all the other kinds of things and then the formalism the gradually things become systematized and uh, music you know became so big in the world and of course it became big in the church and so I could go on and you say well why why are you saying this to us I didn't actually intend to talk to you this way there are much much that I could say but our days are not as those days we're in another time and I'm meeting believers and talking to them too nearly all the maturer believers that I'm talking to worldwide in the different countries that I'm in contact with they do not want to go back to church as it was they do not think it's relevant I was talking to an older brother after the meeting this morning where I spoke and uh, he was saying to me we can't go back to what it was and I said to him well I think what's happened is a gift it's a gift to the church to reconsider her identity it's a a time for the church to reconsider what mission really is so that again some missionaries are having to come home and I was in touch with Mongolia um, during the course of the week and a lot of the Mongolian believers are very discombobulated because all their mission endeavors are somewhat (laughs) shot they can't go what do we do what do we do and then a few of them are beginning to realize we haven't even really got ourselves rooted in the Lord so Lord what do you want us to do so some of them are beginning to seek the Lord's face and say Lord what what is it that you want of us you see big things are happening big things are happening and that's why we need to come into scripture it is my conviction and you may choose to disagree with me that there is little future for the mega church for the church in the big big settings Um, that the future is back to the simplicity where people come together in their localities love one another love the Lord love their neighbor learn how to truly participate and give as as they come together 
simplify all of the organization to the utter minimum as it was in the beginning. The way, you know, the scripture talks about church is rather vague. But it gives no suggestion of massive organization. It gives no indication of the kind of things that are developed nowadays. It gives no indication, for instance. I mean, I don't know if you're aware that architecture is not a chance issue. Are you aware that church architecture has meaning? It speaks. So, for instance, if I was to ask you about what is central in an Anglican church, where does everything focus in the architecture of an Anglican church? I wonder what you would say. Perhaps some of you have never been in one. Um, Well, I mean, there are people who don't go in them. But, of course, you know that usually you enter an Anglican church. They're normally set east-west. You know, so that the sun rises and the stained glass windows speak. You know, the messages of God, maybe the shepherd and things like this, because many people couldn't read. But you, you enter from the south. And the first thing you go past as you enter, of course, is the font. You know, that's how you enter God's church, by a baptism. They think it's a child baptism, but the truth is truth. You enter in through a baptism. And, And then you make your way down the nave. You're on a pilgrimage. You're on a pilgrimage. And usually to the right, on the way near the front, is the lectern with the Bible on it. And then to the left of the nave, you'll find a pulpit. To the side, not central. Bible. The word preached. And then you make your way through. And I'm not saying I agree with this methodology. But there's the table. There's the table. And the Lord, unfortunately represented by the priest behind the, (laughs) you know. But the table. Come to my table. And the Lord says, come to my table, come sit and eat my flesh, my blood, come and live. And the Lord, the head of the table, that's the idea. Very wonderful, it speaks something. Then you know that there's this that occurred called the Reformation. 
And so things changed. And something became central. So in a a Presbyterian church or a Baptist church or, you know, you'd, as a man, uh, I'm just thinking my daughter used to go to his Bible studies in Minneapolis, uh, John Piper, and I always loved John Piper. Um, Sometimes we would be there in Bethlehem Baptist And I used to love the fact that he was the preaching pastor of that big Baptist church. And he would stand down amongst the people and welcome everybody. I'm, I'm among you. The musicians, they were to one side. They were not central. They were to one side. Exactly. But there in the middle, (laughs) of course, elevated was the open Bible. And John would make his way up to preach, or whoever the preacher was would make their way up. The notices would not be given from there. (laughs) You know, they'd be given from below. Do you understand what I mean? But... The the exhortation of the Bible. That's what became central. So to be studious, to the man who was studious became the man that you listened to. The man who had exercised his mind and hopefully his heart, you know. And belief in the doctrines came. Interesting, isn't it? And then I think of churches in which I often preach in many countries and the Bible's not there and the table's not there but the band is there. And they are central and they command the whole thing. And not only so, but the buildings are built you know, like a cinema. You know, where everything focuses on what's going on in the stage. In some churches that I have spoken in, the stage is so massive, it's unbelievable. For not only the band, but the dancers, and the flag wavers, and this and that and the other. Architecture speaks. Architecture speaks. And I am saying to you, God is not pleased. God is not pleased when things focus in the wrong place. God is not pleased when people gather to the wrong thing. You know, there was a man named David Wilkerson who became famous um, because he was a young man 
who came from a Pentecostal background in the United States, rural. And he thought he would be one of the preachers that would, um, you know, make it all happen. And it didn't happen. And so he would go through his Sunday and preach and then became increasingly frustrated and he'd go home, he'd put his feet up after the Sunday morning evening meeting and watch the TV. And his heart became more and more and more grieved and dissatisfied at his own state and the ineffectiveness of everything. That he began, his heart began to go after God. And one night he picked up his TV and he threw it through the window. And not long after that, God said to him, go to New York. And he went to New York. And hallelujah, you know the story um, of how the Lord worked in New York, Nicky Cruz, the drug work and so on. And in 1973, he had a vision. He spoke this vision. He was everybody's darling at this time because of his ministry in New York. And this vision that the Lord gave him was particularly about the church, but the United States and he spoke it out, his, his support dropped 30% at least. People began to call him a heretic because in this vision he saw, he began to see the church and where it was going. And one of the things that he saw, for instance, was that Russia would open to the gospel. And China. And that a red carpet would be rolled out, he saw in this vision, a red carpet rolled out. Welcome from the West, you missionaries, into Russia. And then he saw that the red carpet would be rolled up. Precisely what has happened. And he saw scantily clad girls, ladies, dancing in the church meetings. And if you want to see that, just go into YouTube and Google Hillsong's Christmas Celebration 2019 Silent Night and see where things have gone. God gave him something. And in his later ministry, you may know that the Lord told him to go back to New York and he got a building in Times Square. And uh, you can see a weeping prophet. You can see a weeping prophet. And I think I may have told you, you see, I'm wanting to set what we're doing against a background. 
the background of what we're in now. Because it is spiritual law that ere the Lord will judge the world and sift the world, he will sift his church. He will sift you, he will sift me. He will want to get us onto his side completely where we judge out of our lives and our churches what displeases him. And that not only that, but that we will construct by what his spirit is teaching us. We will learn, and I was just talking to Mark there earlier, this Mark, and you know, the whole edifice that Jesus builds is built upon humble hearts that are teachable meek who are ready to be instructed of the Lord who will do it his way who will come under his precious word who come under his word by his spirit the whole edifice is built upon letting God be God and man be dependent upon him. And so we find ourselves in 2020. You see, a young lady was saying to me this morning after the meeting that she's beginning to realize that what is happening is bigger than the virus. She's beginning to realize it's bigger and you know how the Lord loves his church you know that God so loved the world that he gave his son Uh, God loved his church and gave himself for it Jesus Jesus Ephesians 5 And uh, how is it that Paul puts it? I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but the life I now live, I live, you know, by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. God's love for the world, God's love for the church, God's love for me. God's love for me. And so, as we, as we approach things concerning God's ways, God's church, I have to ask myself, if I will let him master me, if I will allow his word to master me, and not the practices that are around about me? Am I ready to run counter to common practice? Am I ready to be taught of God to love, to to speak hard words 
as well as you you understand what I mean to speak hard words as well as tender words I mean I, I believe that Jesus would have said hard words with a broken heart because he loved his church and you know there's much that's going to collapse and fall the moment pressure comes it's going to come and the way that the Lord has designed his church is the essence of simplicity It can survive in times of persecution. A phrase, keep it simple. Keep it simple. That's what God has done. Keeping it simple. Church is really family. You have to be born into it. You don't believe into it. You don't ask any, do you know, one of the things about truth, as it is out there in the world, that is, in the natural family, in the way things grow, how do you get into your family? How did you come to be? (laughs) It's not a trick question. You, You know the answer. You were conceived by the glorious agreement, we hope, of a man and a woman, your mother and father. By the glorious agreement. And you were conceived. And then after a certain period, You were born into that family and you began to bear the name of that family. Amen. As in the natural, so in the spiritual. That's how people enter into the family of God. By the glorious agreement of the Father and Son, there is a sending of his word into your heart. And of that word, there is a conception of life within you and there comes the time when you are born of that spirit into the family of God. And it's not Baptist. And it's not Anglican. And it's not Roman Catholic. There is one father in the family. There's one faith in the family. Amen. There's one baptism by which you enter in. There's one spirit in that family. I could say that there's one mind. Be ye all of one mind. 
I think of what I mentioned earlier in Ireland. I sat in the last conference I was at with the leaders and I said to them I will not return again to this conference. You will not exist in two years time because you're not of one mind with his mind. And as it happened it lasted two more years and then they disbanded. You see there's one mind in the body and we've got to be attentive. And you know there's no room for pride and the Corinthians had begun well. And they'd got lifted up with pride and opinionatedness. The Galatian Christians, there are a number of churches in Galatia, it seems. And Paul says, they'd begun well. Having begun in the Spirit. And then they had given way And remember, we're only talking about 10 or 12 years to when they had gone into legalism. They they hadn't got lifted up with pride in the same way as the Corinthians had, but the Galatians had got lifted up in ways and uh, keeping the law going back to the Lord, departing from the Spirit. They had begun in the Spirit. Wonderful. Paul is not issuing some, uh, saying you've never been in the family. They were family people. These are family people. These Galatians are our family. These Corinthians are our family. They're born of the same spirit in their day that you were born of the same spirit in your day. And that's wonderful. And You understand. And You know, they've all got to be born of that spirit. And you know, sitting in our churches today, there are many who are not yet born. Which is one of the reasons why things are so vague and unclear and confused. But the Corinthians had begun and there is a wonderful logic to truth. So that when you come to the the, the letter of 1 Corinthians, I'll, I'll just show you this, if you put your eye in chapter 1 of Corinthians and you see how Paul focuses in chapter 1 if you can uh, follow me on this, where does everything begin? So verse 1 everything begins, verse 1 Paul refers to his apostleship and he says that he's an apostle of Jesus Christ but where did it begin? In the will of 
God. And I think most of you will know that when you see the word God in the New Testament, usually it refers to the Father. It refers to the Father. That's where everything begins. Doesn't begin with Jesus. Doesn't begin with the Spirit. It begins with God. Which is why, for instance, you go down into the second verse. You're, you're told that Paul is writing to the church of God. There are other places you'll find that he mentions the church of Christ. But he's wanting to emphasize something very strongly to these rather arrogant-minded Corinthians. You're the church of God. He's going to say, you're, you're not the church of Peter, you're not the church of Paul, you're not the church of... Uh, Who's the other one he mentions? Apollos? That's right. No, you're the church of God. I mean, it is a very wonderful thing, isn't it? You just think. You were begotten by God. I was begotten by God. Do you know what that means? You know, those great Quaker men, George Fox and people like that, they understood this and they talked about the seed. You're God's seed. You've got the seed of Christ in you. That's who you are. You see, you'll never become like Jesus Unless you've got the Jesus seed in you. The one faith. You see, it's not Abraham's faith. or You know, it's not prosperity faith. The faith is the faith that is the family faith. It's the faith of God. It's the faith of Jesus Christ. Do you not, do we not realize that it's not your faith in Christ? that you're justified by. You're justified by the faith of Christ. The fact that mankind is able to live righteously and be right with God forever and ever that you and I is because of the faith of Jesus Christ. He faced where Adam didn't. And this is why you and I must live by the faith of. That's some of the translations. Just get it wrong. Get into the Greek and you're fine. You see that it's the faith of. You see. And this is the family faith. You're begotten by one father. You know Mark when he prayed. I wondered if he was going to carry on. Our Father. Did you notice? Our Father. (laughs) Wonderful. Our Father. 
you're, you're our father you 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 brought me you conceived me you brought me to the birth amen wonderful so simple you see and this is where the Corinthians were drifting and you notice you go down I thank my God verse 4 always concerning you because of the grace of God that was given to you by Jesus Christ by Christ Jesus that you were enriched by him wonderful in all utterance that's tremendous. Enriched by who? I thank my God. You know, God de- decided to enrich you through his son. It's the Father, you see, who enriched you. And you go down and it says here, this verse I think we touched on last time, God, verse 9, is faithful. By whom? you were called into the fellowship of his son. Don't you want to be in that kind of intimate uh, fellowship with his son? This is where the church is called to. Oh, Corinthians, dear Corinthians, where have you gone? What are you fellowshipping in? I can remember... You know, uh, uh, you, you learn some of the best lessons by your stupid mistakes. And I remember my wife and I being moved up country at a certain time. I won't go into details of where. And we joined this church and we were part of it. And then after about four months, I found myself to become... Ah, the spokesperson for people who were renegade in the fellowship. You know, I found myself in agreement with their criticisms and my wife and I and, and being Bernard, being Bernard, I ended up being the spokesperson. And uh, so I went to the leader and I said this, that and the other, blah, blah, you know. And, uh, oh dear. And then the Lord woke me up. And I had to go to that leader and I had to repent and apologize to him. Oh brother, I'm sorry. Because the Lord told me showed me that he'd given this man the charge, the responsibility. Bernard, keep your mouth shut. And I went to those people that I'd been having fellowship with, a fellowship of disaffection, a fellowship of complaint, (laughs) and I had to repent. And it's wonderful to repent. It's like a burden rolls away. (laughs) A burden rolls away. You see, you're not called into the fellowship of belly aching. I mean it. You're not called into the fellowship 
of complaining about the government and complaining. What do you expect from the government anyway? They're only men and women who are groping. And it's all complicated by their own agendas. What do we expect? We're not called into the fellowship of uh, the conservatives or the liberals or the, you know what I mean, or the Democrat and the Republican. You, you understand. We're called into the fellowship of his son. And it's God who called you. And you be careful because it will be God who will call you back to that place. <laughs> if you drift from it. And they had. And you know this, how God keeps doing everything through the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that right? Wonderful. Uh, look at verse 8. Who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Always when you see that, you ought to put a comma after the Lord. Lord Jesus Christ, it should be our Lord. We've got one Lord. Our Lord is not Boris Johnson. Amen, aren't you glad? Perhaps he should get a haircut. At least he's lucky enough to have some. But, (laughs) uh, you know, our Lord, it's wonderful. Jesus Christ. And God does everything through his Son. Now I plead with you, brethren, verse 10, by the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. You notice the three sames? Speak the same thing. That you have the same mind and the same judgment. Tremendous. And then Paul goes on, you know, and he he writes about Christ. Christ. So you've got God, Christ, Jesus Christ, Christ. Verse 18, you know, the power of God is in his Son. It's in, it's in the cross. It's in the cross. That's where the power of God is. Did you get that? This is family law. Did you want to be powerful? Do I want to be powerful? Well, power's in the cross in this family. Power's in being crucified. Power is in being nothing. Power is not in being a brilliant musician and swaying the crowds. Power is not in being a great orator and Greek style as it was in those days. Power in this family is in the cross. 
That's where the dynamis is, the dynamo, the energy. When I'm weak, then I am strong. Isn't that what Paul said? He'd learnt the secret of the family power. The power is in the laying down of the life. For one another. Oh you Corinthians. You've gone a million miles away from this. You're devouring one another. Instead of giving yourselves to one another. And loving one another. <laughs> the powers in laying your life down Bernard. Laying your life down sister. I mean it. This is the way of the family. This is the heart of God invisible, made visible in Jesus Christ and now made visible by the power of the Holy Ghost in the people of God. Now do you see how far? Oh, brothers and sisters, don't you sense the grief of God in all the billion dollar industry of the music, Christian so-called? Where they got their stars and their followers and idolatry. Head of the laying down of the life. The family. It's not a family of fame. It's a family of brokenness. That's where the power is. The power that brings down the spirit. The power that breaks through. The hardness of men's hearts. The power that subdues. The power. Oh dear, sometimes things come back to my mind and I think of a man in a camp where I was preaching and this fellow on the, in the first meeting, he came to me and he shouted at me in the meeting and then the second meeting he did the same and he came out publicly covered with full of bones around his neck and he said by the end of this week I never wanted to come to this camp but I'm in this camp and by the end of this week I will kill you that's what he said to me I said you'll only be able to do it if God gives you permission and all I did was love him and uh, he kept coming and there came the time by the end of that week because I knew what he was reacting to. He had demons. But by the time of the end of the week, God, God melted him and broke him and delivered him. And he went back to his job. I gave him my phone number. And he went back and he phoned me on the Monday evening. And he said, I've lost my job. I didn't know what he did. I said, what, what do you mean you've lost your job? He said, I've gone to work and I can't do it. Well, whatever it is your job. He said, I'm the person who kills the animals in the abattoir. That would shoot the bolt. And I can't do it. I can't kill anymore. I love killing but I can't kill anymore. He'd come into another family. He'd come into another family. He'd been released from the spirits that worked in him. You see, 
in the atmosphere of the family of God where there were broken people who loved him and he heard the word of God. This is our family. And the Corinthians had departed from the way of the cross, the brokenness of the cross, the humility upon which the whole edifice of God's true church is built. It's not built on flashy men at the front. It's not built on that. All flashy women. Yeah. Paul, he's going to tell us this. But let's let's go on. Because Paul is going to carry on about God and Christ. And God and Christ. And you see your calling, brethren. Don't you? You know, it's, it's a family word, isn't it? Brethren, brethren. Family word. God's chosen, we covered it. But, and then it says in verse 30, of God, you are in Christ Jesus. The hymn refers back to God in verse 28. Of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. It's so wonderful to me. We get ourselves all tangled up with when am I sanctified, am I sanctified, you know. You know, all this, uh, we we get all tied up about wanting wisdom and uh, we wanting to be right with God. And, you know, people write books about all this, but you can see where it all comes from. Of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who of God is made the source. Some of you may actually have it in your Bibles. He is the source. Jesus is the source. God has decided that Jesus should be the fountainhead of wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. Four things. It's, it's, it's like that amazing river that flowed through Eden. One river that broke into four heads. That's the opposite to normal. Isn't it? Tributaries form one. The tributaries. I remember being in Khartoum, you know, and asking because Khartoum is in the, the, the confluence where the two rivers, the blue and the white, meet. You know, and you can actually see where they meet. And one is blue and one is white because of where they come from. But they, those rivers up on their heads are fed by various things and it flows out in one river Nile uh, up there, Alexandria, and, and into the Med. You know, that's how it works. But this river in the book of the Revelation comes from one source. And in our lives, it, he breaks into these four heads, these four things, wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption all I've got to do is let Jesus flow in me and he will be made unto me wisdom 
when I need it. He, I, I had a very sudden conversation, one of those with pictures messenger before I came to the meeting from a lady who buried her husband of 54 years on uh, Thursday we watched online you know and what do you say to her she's weeping what do you say just love her and let Jesus be wisdom and she seemed to be comforted She seemed a little help, which is all that she can have day by day, day by day. You know, he's made unto us wisdom when we need it. He's made unto us righteousness. He makes us right in a situation. We try to be right, you know. (laughs) He makes us keeps us holy. You see, Jesus is your life. So are you seeing chapter 1? God. Jesus. And this lovely man, Paul. And then suddenly you come in chapter 2 to Spirit. He hasn't been mentioned. Spirit hasn't been mentioned. Is that? I'm just looking at the clock. Is that 20 to 9? Oh, 20 past 8. Okay. All right. We've got. You know, I, brethren, verse 1, when I came to you, I did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. Anyone got a little number by the word testimony that gives you an alternative? Mystery. Mystery. Do you know, I I had the privilege of sharing a few thoughts this morning and I began by saying to the people, I want to talk to you a little bit about God. I know some, I know God. I know him a bit, but he's still a mystery. He'll always be a mystery. God is greater than any words we could ever say about him. God is more kind than you could ever think and I could ever think. Though I added word upon word about his love, Still a mystery. Yeah, still a mystery. And uh, the translators, you know, some of them say mystery, some of them say testimony. Because, you know, when you hear God bearing testimony through his messengers, it's always charged with that which is beyond the words that are being said. When you really hear the Spirit's ministry, it's always got that content that's not a lecture. It's got the mystery of God in it. 
you understand what I'm trying to say to you? You see, this is, don't try and surround it with your understanding. Don't try and comprehend it with your brain. I had a lovely conversation with a young man in Liberty uh, College, Liberty University in Lynchburg, Virginia yesterday. And uh, he said to me, Uncle Bernard, that's who I am to him, Uncle Bernard, he said, I've got such problems, you know, with this course that I'm doing. I can't seem to put it all together. He said, oh dear, oh dear. I said, well, neither could Einstein. And uh, uh, so don't, don't worry. I said to him, do you know what happened to Einstein? He just sort of, he had a kind of eureka moment. And it all kind of clicked. And I said, you, his name's Nate. I said, Nate, you talk to God and ask God to give you a a moment when it all clicks. Just rest in God. Do your homework. Read the stuff and it'll click. Because you're in the place where God wants you to be. And he said, "I, I think I understand that. You see. Because everything's mystery. But we've been raised in a, in a world that worships the brain. So the doctor, the good doctor, he, he will be humble because he knows up to a point. Do you know the good scientist? This is one of the ways you know that Richard Dawkins is not really what he says he is because he seems to be filled with pride. But most good scientists are utterly humble because what they know is multiplied by, you know, far multiplied more by what I don't know. You see, it's like that in the things of God. Then shall we know then shall we know. Now we know in part. Amen. Doesn't this, doesn't this thrill you, you see? And so Paul says, when I came to you, you know, declaring the mystery, the testimony of God. Do you know, I was, you know, I don't think I did it very well this morning. You know, but... I just wanted to tell them what God thinks of them. What God's like, you see. There's no greater subject to speak on than God, you see. Because, you know, God wants to give his testimony. That's what the gospel is. The gospel is God's testimony. That's what the church is all about. Bearing the testimony. Living the testimony. It's not your testimony or my testimony. I was a dreadful drug addict and an alcoholic. And I did this and I did that and I did the other. No, 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 no. What did God do in you? What's God doing in you? That's the real testimony. We know that he can deal with every bit of stuff that you've ever been into. It is his delight. But he wants you to 
tell people about the God that you know. You know, isn't it God wonderful? We can do it with these little stories. Like I told a little story. You know, my back, I got a bad back. I've had it for years and we're sleeping in this holiday lodge and the mattress has been killing me too soft and I said to my wife my back, my back was particularly bad I said darling I have to get a new mattress uh, got to get a mattress double mattress you know and uh, wonderful really I, I thought I know what I'll do I'll look in marketplace Facebook marketplace you know and sure enough I knew it would happen God knows what you need and there's a mattress there and this mattress, only been used by my teenage son on his double bed. Why I had a double bed, I don't know. And uh, it's firm. That's what I want. Firm. Give me firm. Please, give me firm. <laughs> so I phoned up the lady and I thought, she's got an unusual name, lives in an unusual place, a place called Two Oaks. Some place out towards, you know, between Newton and Totnes. And... Uh, uh, Twin Oaks, Two Oaks, is it? Do you know it? Two Mile Oaks. Who? Two Mile Oaks. Yeah, that, you got it. So I went out to see her. And uh, you know, the Lord's wonderful. I, I, was, I found the place, and there she was, Chinese. Porsche in the drive. A few other nice cars in the drive, you know. Wealthy home. And I looked at her, and I said to her, so, my dear, where do you come from? She said, Singapore. I said, you don't look Singaporean. You don't talk like a Singaporean. I said, you talk like someone from Sarawak. She said, yes. I said, and you look like someone who's Fu Chow. She said, yes. How did you know? I said, just the shape of your face. Do you know Fu Chow people? Oh, yes, I know. Where... Do you come from Cebu? And so we had a lovely talk for about 15 minutes and I got ten pounds off the mattress. <laughs> but, you know, just little stories like that. God, he knows what you have need of. Testimony of God. Even the little things. The timings. Just that day, she'd only put it up on Facebook Marketplace a few hours earlier. Someone else had rung up, she said, but you rang up first and I made the other person wait. And I thought, thank you, Lord. And so often life is teeming with miracles. Teeming with the care of God. The testimony of God. And Paul says he he was declaring this testimony, wasn't he? And he said, I was with you, you know. I I, I, I just wanted to... No, no one but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Verse 2, I was with you in weakness, in fear, in much trembling. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit. Now, uh, if I had time, I'd take you through 
a whole lot of words about the spirit. Perhaps we'll get to it another time, but this is the first time in the letter he mentions the spirit. I was with you in demonstration of the spirit and of power. That's what the church, the church must learn to be a demonstration of the Spirit and of the power. Must learn the secrets of that. It mustn't be a demonstration of human wisdom. It must demonstrate the Spirit. A demonstration of love and at times a demonstration of miracles. A demonstration. The the church is called to demonstrate God. You've been to marketplaces, haven't you? And the big crowd gathered around some vendor who's demonstrating the latest thing for cleaning the floors or something. Uh, Do they still do that? They certainly do it in Asia. You know, and you go and just listen to the man and see what he's doing. And they sort of clean all the stains off this bit of dirty you know, in no time. And of course, when you buy the stuff and try it, it doesn't work. (laughs) But you wonder, where's the trick? But you know what I'm saying? They demonstrate the thing. They demonstrate it. And Paul said, I demonstrated the spirit and power. I was with you in weakness. And yet you saw me strong, didn't you? You saw me broken but you saw that there was a word of power. You, you saw, but the, by the way, there's no particular mention of miracles in, in the Acts account, but possibly they happened. Why not? He was an apostle. And in fact, these signs should follow those that believe. Don't expect everyone. But there are times every preacher should have scenes that God was pleased to do some healing or some miracle something you know in a church there should be some of those demonstrations where the Lord does a miracle has that happened in your church you know where sometimes in physical miracles perhaps um, miracles of supply you know, miracles of supply. Do you know where God wants to show his hand? And he wants people who are utterly dependent, you see, because they've been made weak. They're crucified. I was with you in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men but in the power of God this is very important brothers and sisters this is very important 
Because one of the reasons for the instability that we witness in many people's lives in the churches is because their faith has been in the texts or they've been in the belief system or I gave my heart to Jesus. Why didn't it work? and so on and so forth because that's where their faith was planted instead of being planted where does he say it should be planted your faith planted in the power of God they met the power of God Amen. And it wasn't only a merely emotional thing. Have you met the power of God? Did I meet the power of God? I can tell you that I most certainly met the power of God. That as God uh, moved upon my young life, I was overcome. I had to go forward it wasn't the eloquence of the preacher in fact he was pretty lousy that night and it was in a house but God had been moving on my heart with his power he'd been drawing me he'd been convicting me he'd been convincing me I had to go down on my face out there at the front I had to and as I did so the power of God met me it wasn't the eloquence of the preacher I can remember what he was preaching on was completely disconnected with what God was doing in my heart. He was talking about Jesus standing with one foot on Mount of Olives and one foot somewhere else. I can't remember where, you know, but he was speaking on sort of one of these end times things. But I went, God dealt, you see. Now don't, everyone doesn't have to be like me, but you must, you must have a rooting there where the spirit is demonstrated to you you know you've met God and God is greater than the church where it happens or the minister that is involved if there is one you know where you you know you're meeting God if I may put it this way man to man I should say man to God woman to God yourself to his self this is where it happened and Paul is saying this is what happened to you Corinthians this is why some of you were homosexuals and were catamites and were uh, gossips and were this and robbers and I don't know what you know and he could equally have said and some of you were really pleasant nice people but underneath were seething at times he could have said all that but you were he could say that because they'd met the power Paul had demonstrated the power and the wisdom the spirit of God there was an invisible presence with him 
dare I say that? Do you understand? We're not talking about a ghost. But we're talking about a spirit. The words that I speak are spirit and life. That's what our Lord Jesus said. And this is why, do you know, that there are those of us here and we must come to this place of, you know, oh Lord, I, I see that I'm, I, I'm not standing in my face is not standing on the fact that I, I really met you. I've really met you. That's why it's such a privilege, isn't it, to meet people and you get a great sense. This, this, this woman knows God. This person knows God. There's a presence with them. It's right, isn't it? It's right. What a privilege to have had people in your background that were like that to you. Hmm. I remember going to see a man one day and I was in a very broken state. And he, he, he said this to me, Bernard, I can't help you. I can't help you but I can take you to a place where I made the floorboards wet with my tears as I went through with God. I can't help you. What's happening to you now? I can't help you. But I can take you to a place where I made the floorboards wet with my tears. That was enough someone had gone that way before to pass in yet more to the power of God to pass in yet more from self to Christ to pass in yet more Amen see this is church business this is church business this is the business we're in This is why when you meet God in the power uh, in this way you're not afraid of someone who comes to you with demons or someone who wants to kill you or someone who has got such a burden on their back you know that it can roll away you know. See, this is the church's business. This is what it's all about. It's, it's not getting them all to believe the right things. It's to do with them meeting God in power. That's what it is. Hallelujah. And so, now Paul introduces us to the Spirit. So we've had God. This is the logic of truth. It all begins with God. It's all wrought through the Son. And now we meet the Spirit. Now we meet the Spirit. 
And he's going to say lots about the Spirit. And if you want to, before next Sunday, you could look in chapter 2 and 3 and and then move on through into the 12th. You know, the logic of truth. The Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit. We dare not talk about Spirit first. We must, in the logic of it all, Come under God and His Son, who is our Lord. And then we must move into the realm of the Spirit. Most of us live in the realm of our minds. Now that's not wrong. But what is wrong, and I say this to you all in love, You meet God's spirit first, not mind first. It is with all that you are in your inner being, your spirit, your, your inner man, and your mind follows on. And in the revelation, he's going to talk about revelation. In this chapter 2, he's going to talk about education. He's going to talk about investigation. Are you listening to the words? Demonstration of the Spirit. Later on he's going to talk about the investigation of the Spirit. He's going to talk about the education of the Spirit. He's going to talk in this kind of way. The revelation of the Spirit. You've got them all. Later in chapter 6 he's going to talk about the unification of the Spirit. In chapter 12 he's going to talk about the manifestation of the Spirit. There's seven or eight things and he talks about the wonderful ministry of the Spirit that will sustain the church. Quarter to nine. Close my Bible. But, Amen. Amen. Someone's phone said in sympathy. But, Amen. Amen. Brothers and sisters, here we are. Oh Lord, teach me. Teach me thy ways. Teach me thy heart. Teach me thy church. Teach me. Teach me. Teach us. Lord, bring me in. Bring me in. Bring me in. Hallelujah. To, to, till I'm in the place where I'm be, beside myself. In the right way. You know. How wonderful the Lord is. You know. His ways. Are tremendous aren't they. Hallelujah. We'll pray, can we? Is that all right, Mark? For five, for five minutes, and just be before the Lord. And if you want to pray out and whatever, then Amen.